0: All right, let's pray. Shall we do it? Father, we need to hear from you today. We want to draw close to your heart. So help us to know you more. And everyone said, thank you. Thank you for the privilege of letting me speak this morning. I'm grateful every time I have an opportunity to, to come up and to address the church family. You know, this is my 19th year of being on staff at Calvary Christian Center. You didn't know they hired babies here (laughs) because, like, child labor and stuff. No, I'm kidding. I have to say that one of the benefits of longevity, you know, being here at Calvary is really getting to know each other and invest in each other's lives over the course of years. And if you've been coming to Calvary any length of time, you know this about me. I'm a huge science nerd. So do any of you know that show on the Discovery Channel called Mythbusters? Where's my people at? All right, yes, okay, good. Now, I got some fellow geeks out here. So, uh, for those of you who got stuck on HGTV or TMZ or the Hallmark Channel, let me, let me fill you in. Mythbusters is this awesome show where a couple of scientists decide to test urban legends. They, um, they figure out rumors that they've heard, uh, movie scenes, whatever, and then they attempt to recreate the circumstances of the myth to determine whether the alleged result will occur. And they would test things like, you know, whether you could really escape a car submerged underwater or, you know, what would happen if you ignited a million matches at the same time or, you know, whether you could mount an M60 machine gun to a swivel chair and a crank and put that in the trunk of a car with a remote control and then blow away an enemy hideout. So, yeah, basically the coolest show ever because it combines my love for science with my love of watching things get blown up. So I decided this morning that we were going to do some myth-busting here at Calvary Christian Center this morning, so, but don't worry, uh, Pastor, there's no C4 involved in this, there's no Semtech, not going to blow it up, the fire marshal isn't here anyway, so uh, nobody's the worse for wear. It's something much more powerful than that, it's called confession. Okay, so you're all like thrilled about blowing stuff up, right? But when I say confession, what? All right. I know it's early on a Sunday morning, whatever. Look, uh, there's a lot of things that are misunderstood about the Christian faith, but I think that confession has got to be like at or near the top of that list, because we either we mystify it or we oversimplify it, or probably more often than either of those is, we try not to think about it at all and ignore it. But confession is a gift from God. That we need to understand and reclaim. So let's take a look at our passage this morning. It's in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. It says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. What a great passage. So before we really start to unpack the truth about confession and what it is, let's take a look at the myths. Maybe you've, you know, heard of some of these myths. Maybe you believe some of these myths as we go through them. The first one is the ritual confession. I think most people, when they hear the word confession, you know, they immediately imagine this highly formal, traditionalized situation where you walk into this quiet stone cathedral and you get into this dark box with a screen and there's a priest on the other side and you say, "'Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned,' and you spill the beans.'" And then he prescribes you a certain prayer that you have to pray X number of times and a penance that you have to perform to absolve you of your sins. Next, There's the myth of the silent confession. Now, this myth number two is pretty much just the polar opposite of myth number one. It's an overreaction to the ritual confession, dressed up in spiritual-sounding words like, I don't need a priest or a go-between. I can go to God directly all by myself, and I don't need to confess to anyone else because my life is my business. And finally, there's the convenient confession there's no process needed here, none involved. I'm not really thinking uh, that there's a, it doesn't matter how I confess or who I confess to, it's just that I get it off my chest and the rest of it's just details. So in the face of these urban legends about confession, what does God's word actually say? What is the truth? Confession is discussed in the Bible in both the Old and the New Testament. And so in our passage from Proverbs, the Hebrew word here is yada. And isn't that great? I mean, how many of you are like talking to each other and you're like, and yada, 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 yada. And you didn't even know that you were fluently speaking Hebrew. (laughs) So to confess or to yada is used to describe, it's like a picture word. And and what it's describing here in this picture word is an illustrating someone throwing something away, like a stone or an arrow. And I love that. So if you could imagine sin as like a weight in your hands, like a rock, When you confess, you're throwing it away from yourself. Now, to understand the importance of confession, I think it's important that we we go all the way back to the very first confession. Why? Because this is precedent. The very best among us, Adam and Eve, sinned. And what was their response to God? They hid. And God's response to that tells us volumes about how he views confession because he comes and he's asking questions. Where are you? And have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I told you not to eat? Pop quiz. Did God really need the answers to these questions? No. You know, okay, so as parents, you know, a lot of times we're asking kids and we need them to confess because we weren't there when whatever happened and we didn't see it. But that's not the case with God. So, what does that say about God? If He's asking questions, He already knows the answers to. He isn't the one who needs the information. Which actually makes me think maybe there's a fourth myth here about confession where people think, hey, I don't need to do this at all, right? He knows everything. I've been sanctified, I've been justified, I've been rectified. I've been gratified uh, formaldehyde. Okay, let's not, let's not get carried away here this morning. Calm yourselves. Look, this myth gets debunked three chapters into the Bible because if we didn't need to confess at all, why is God making a point to get a confession from Adam and Eve? Here's the reason why. God understands that we need to confess the truth and to own up to our failings. He's not on the throne with his legal pad and writing stuff, and you're like, you did what? No. Hear me here. Confession is not for God. Confession is something he knows we need. So after this first confession, many, many, many years down the road, came the confession ritual under the Mosaic Covenant. And at that time, every time you came to church, you would bring a lamb with you, and you'd bring it before the priest for inspection. And then you would lay your hands on the head of that lamb, and you would confess your sins aloud. And then you would take a knife and slit the throat of that lamb, and then the priest would butcher it as a substitute in your place. Now, no churches I know of are doing that. They're not practicing this ritual. So if you brought lambs here to church today, you're going to have to bring them home because we're not set up for that here. Uh, today. But there are denominations that say that Christians must confess all of their sins to a priest who will then prescribe a certain amount of prayers that you must pray and things that you must do to receive absolution. So, let's bust that myth. We don't need a formal ritual. Why? Because Jesus gave His church the power to forgive. And here's what it says in John chapter 20. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them. And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So let me say this, looking at Adam and Eve's confession in the garden, you notice something here? That the only people present at the confession are God and the people who sinned, right? And the other interesting piece here is that God does not mete out punishments for the disobedience. Everything he said had to happen. It was having to work hard to get the earth to grow food. It was the thorns and the thistles. It was being banned from the garden. It was painful child labor. It was eventual physical death. These were all consequences of their actions. These were the results of sin entering into this world. You see, there's a, there's a difference here, isn't there, between a consequence and a punishment. Do you, are you getting what I'm saying here this morning? God isn't interested in punishing you after you've come to him to confess. Confess. It's a lie from hell that somehow we've got to earn God's forgiveness or somehow compensate him for our sin. Jesus did that on the cross, and he said, it is finished. So then we get to the next myth, which is the silent confession. This is the one that you've heard, right? Like, all I need is God. I don't need anybody else to hear my confession. So let's take a look at what the apostle James said has to say about it. In chapter 5, he says, therefore, confess your sins quietly to yourself when no one is around. Oh, no, that's a different version. Uh, He says, uh, okay, confess your sins in your head to yourself so no one thinks badly about you. No, that's not what he says there either. This is what he says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So we do need to confess to one another. And that means, one, that we deal directly with the offended person, and two, that we have trusted godly people in our lives to whom we confess so that we have accountability and transparency working in our lives. And then James tells us to pray for one another. Why? so that you may be healed. You see, while we're practicing confession to each other, we need to follow it up with prayer so that we can be healed from the worst of diseases, sin. Scripture is clear that we do need to confess to one another in humility and honesty and a spirit of healing and setting things right. And by busting this myth, not only do we restore broken relationship, but we pave the way For miracles to come and happen. Yeah, even miracles of physical healing as well. Here's what it says in Luke 19 Zacchaeus stops and he says to Jesus, Behold, Lord, half of my possession I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I'll give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house. Salvation comes to our homes when we confess our sins and we try to make things right with one another, not by keeping it secret or stuffing our sin into some dark place that we hope no one will ever see it, but by bringing it out into the light and calling it by its name and asking for prayer and then letting God heal us. In the year 400, a Christian philosopher named Augustine of Hippo wrote the Confessions of St. Augustine. Some of you may have read that. He addressed his confessions directly to God, but later on in the book, he acknowledges to God that the reader uh, exists, and so Augustine knew that he was confessing to a larger audience than just to God, who had already absolved him of his sin. He wasn't just getting stuff, stuff off of his chest so much as he was paving a way for us to follow. I'll never forget... The first time uh, that my dad came to me and he apologized. I was a little kid. And you know, my dad is like God, right? And as a little kid, I'm like this big. He's so tall. He's massive. And, and my dad came to me and he apologized. And I will never forget it. It was huge. Parents, husbands, wives, you have no idea the impact that you can make on your family when you model for your children this principle And let me say this to students, you may have no idea of what's going on in the lives of the students that you are with when you are on campus, what's going on with them. And when you model humility, and when you confess to students or to teachers or to your coach, you may be the very first person to model for them what this principle looks like. And it could impact them for decades. So, silent confession only? No, myth busted. Now, there's a school of thought here that it doesn't matter who you confess to or how you confess. The important thing is just do it. The rest of it's just irrelevant details. Now, yeah, people do think that. In order to bust this myth, we need to look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. So there is a process here. And first, Jesus is saying, this is important. It's so important that Jesus says, it's okay for you to leave church to go and do it. First, leave your tithe check on the pew is what he's saying here. Leave the tie check on the pew, go out, go fix it, then come back, put it in the offering. That's the process. So, um, I'm going to say this. If Jesus said it was important, first, I'm going to agree with Jesus. And I'll go further than that. I'll say here, if you're sitting here this morning and you're listening to this and you're realizing, I got something I need to go fix, by all means, get up, go out into the courtyard, and make a phone call, and get it fixed. Why? Get it handled. Because unconfessed sin inhibits God's ability to communicate with you. It's interference. It's like this. Kirsten and I were recently, we were on our way to Roseville where we were going to go see a movie, and it's like a 45-minute drive. And Kirsten, like, she had, to, she had to go to the bathroom, Right? But we're like speeding. We're going to be late. She doesn't want to stop because we don't want to miss the movie, right? And, uh, and so finally, we like peel into the parking lot of the theater, and she bolts into the theater, runs into the bathroom, and she comes out. She's like, okay, now I can enjoy the movie. And Jesus is saying here, when you got to go, <laughs> you got to go. <laughs> Confess. And then come back, because there's some things that I want to say to you, and I don't want you distracted, right? Because this is all you can think about. Jesus is saying in this verse, go to the person you wronged and be reconciled to them. So beyond God's forgiveness, you need to go to the person that you wronged and ask them too. Second, you don't need to go running around confessing it all over the place. People, some people, using confession like it's some kind of biblically authorized gossip. You know, I got to confess, I'm having a hard time with Sister Martha. She never calls me when I'm sick. No, 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 no. Confession is not telling someone, you know, I thought you were ugly for a really long time, and I still don't know why you do your hair like that. People, don't do it. Finally, I'll say this, if you're struggling with your thoughts and your attitudes, then go to God with your thoughts. And take them captive. Here's what it says. You can take your thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Confess, confess it to a trusted believer that I, I'm having a hard time with my thoughts. I'm, my thoughts are not loving towards other people, and I need, I need you to pray with me so that my thought life will be pleasing to God. Jesus says there is a process he wants us to follow. So follow it and talk to the person about the thing that was done and seek forgiveness and reconciliation. Lead with your mistakes. Own your stuff. Going around to everybody else first is out of order and probably adding go- the sin of gossip to the first problem. Anyway, so look, we cannot go back and change the past. What's done is done. But we can seek healing and some degree of restoration. Look, in this life, some things break that can't be fixed. It's true that some relationships cannot be fully restored. But they and we can move on in a better way. And in so doing, we can experience God's peace and joy and healing in our lives. Another part of the process of confession that's important is specificity. Be specific. You know, if there was a short list of the most brilliant people that ever lived I have to think that Isaac Newton is going to be somewhere on that short list. His ideas shaped physics for 300 years, and I've always admired Isaac Newton's mind, but it wasn't until I came across some of his personal notes that I fell in love with his heart. As a young man at the age of 19, Isaac Newton was drawn close to God, and he wrote a confession of his sins. Now, this was not a, oh God, please forgive me all my sins, amen, blanket umbrella prayer, and haven't we all prayed that one way too many times? No. Isaac was listing specific sins that he was seeking forgiveness for. Instead of just confessing, you know, I didn't keep the Sabbath day holy, he spells it out. I made a mousetrap on a Sunday. I helped a roommate with a school project. I made pies on Sunday. I put a pin in Johnny Key's hat on thy day to prick him. I threatened my father and mother Smith to burn them and the house over them, who knew Isaac Newton was a problem child, right? <laughs> Stealing cherry cobs from Edward's store, denying that I did so, punching my sister, robbing my mother's box of plums and sugar. And I think one that was kind of interesting here was Isaac Newton got his hands on a crossbow, right? And he was shooting stuff with it. And then his mother and his grandmother confront him, and he denies it to them. Isaac Newton, crossbow hunter. I would totally watch that show, Why is it important to be specific in our confession? Listen to this in Luke chapter 7. Jesus is speaking here. He says, A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces to another, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debt. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he counseled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman who was there. He said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. I tell you, her sin's Though they are many, they are forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. The truth of the matter is that that rabbi, Simon, and all of us have sinned just as much as the prostitute in that passage. The problem is that we don't get specific enough about our sins to remember just how much we've been forgiven of And because we don't realize everything that we've been forgiven of, we wind up having a hard time loving God. I'm going to say something maybe controversial here in this Pentecostal church, but nowhere in the entire Bible does God command us to forget our sins. He says He forgets them, but He doesn't tell me to. And I'm not suggesting here that we write our sins you know, all over the walls of our house so every day when we get up, we're looking at all this stuff. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that the more we remember what God has brought us out of, the more we will love him. The specific confession. It shows that we value the blood that Jesus spilled to purchase our lives and to cover our sins. Confession demands maturity and an unblinking look at our faults. Jesus, forgive me, all my sins, amen, is kind of like running past the mirror on your way to the shower because you do not (laughs) want to look at everything that's going wrong, right? But we've got to stop. And we've got to take a look at what's wrong and ask him to change it and make us clean. In American Christianity, many have gotten off into a name it and claim it greedy kind of aberration of faith. Confession is where we can name it and claim it, meaning that I name my sins and I accept responsibility and accountability for my actions. When I come humbly before God, it then allows Jesus to claim it. And to cover my sins with his blood. The Apostle John says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, what is the first word in that verse? If, meaning that I have a part to play, and then he is faithful to do his. The great part is that there's even more benefits to confession than just the forgiveness, as if that wasn't enough. Remember earlier with Adam and Eve, the confession was not benefiting God. He's not like, praise myself, I finally learned out all the sins that Kirsten did wrong. No, it's it's not about him. It's we who benefit. God knows this, and because he wants what's best for me, he loads benefits onto the act of confession, In the 1990s, there was a doctor, Dr. James Pennybaker. He was a professor of psychology at the University of Texas, and he conducted experiments in which subjects were asked to speak into a tape recorder for 20 minutes. Either One group was asked to speak about traumas and problems and issues, and the other group was just asked to talk about mundane stuff that happened that day. The group that confessed past traumas reported feeling upset during the confession. Some cried. They talked about accidents and personal failings and abuse and other things. But after the initial upset, the participants felt better. And even though their blood pressure rose during the confession, in the moments after the confession, their blood pressure dipped below pre-confession levels. Some experienced a reduction in the number of doctor visits. And the more they disclosed, the greater the health effect was. And so here's what uh, Dr. Pennybaker writes. He says, he says, speaking about traumatic experiences produces improvements in immune function, and translating experiences into words puts some kind of structure onto the experience itself. So Dr. Pennybaker was discovering what the church has known for 2,000 years, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. He talked about lower blood pressure and less need for doctor's visits, and I wonder how many of us here are wrestling with blood pressure issues or medical issues because we've been keeping stuff secret and hidden that needs to come out, trying hard to look good on the outside, but inside, there's a pile of garbage. It's like that TV show Hoarders that my wife watches. (laughs) You know, people can be emotional hoarders. The house of your heart becomes unlivable. And, and I remember uh, when Kirsten and I had gotten engaged, and I was uh, getting ready to move out of my apartment, and she'd come over to kind of help me clean things up. And I was uh, in one room, and I was packing up boxes, and she had gone into the kitchen to try to tackle that uh, mountain of plates in the kitchen. And, and as I was in the back room, I heard her, you know, yell out from the kitchen, when did you have chicken? And I said, what Chicken. It was that old. <laughs> Ew. Don't let your heart be like a bachelor pad, okay? Clean every day. And all the wives said. Yeah. All right, if you'll bear with me here, I wanna make another analogy. My son, Noah, is two years old. He's doing really great at potty training, but for some reason, he gets scared to do number two. And so he waits and he tries to avoid the inevitable. And it's sometimes like a day goes by or two. And then I'm like, look, I don't care. You are going to sit down until something happens, until it comes out. And there's weeping and there's crying and there's, you know, drama and emotions. And then it happens. And then it's all over. And he's a happy little boy again. It's like a transformation takes place. Confession is like that. When we lack maturity and understanding... We are afraid, so we avoid and we deny. And even when we're asked point blank, we're like, no, 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 I don't have to go. And if we keep putting it off, eventually daddy is going to get involved. And he will force the situation. And there's tears and there's drama. But afterwards, there's relief. And there's joy again. Right? Confession purifies our souls. It removes the stink that needs to come out. (laughs) So if you think about it that way, you begin to appreciate what confession is doing for your spiritual life, right? Just like your body needs to purge daily, your soul does also. So, to help us fully appreciate the magnitude, the significance of the power of confession, I asked for, and believe it or not, I actually acquired a lie detector setup. It's over here on the platform. Now, the modern version of the lie detector is called a CVSA, which stands for Certified Voice Stress Analyzer, and Buddha Upal is going to come forward. Would you all give Buddha a hand? Buddha has worked in law enforcement for over 30 years, and he has agreed to come up and help us with this demonstration. Now, what this voice analyzer is about is, you know, the old school ones that you saw on like the crime dramas on TV where they'd hook you up to diodes and all that stuff? It's not like that. Now what we have is basically this microphone that, that uh, sits here, and then a series of questions are asked, you know, that uh, get a baseline of just stuff that uh, you can answer, and then some real questions are asked, and this will determine whether deception is being detected by picking it up in the vibrations of your voice. So I want to demonstrate to you this morning what a relief it is to confess sins that we've been hiding. So so what's going to happen here this morning is, is we're going to pray, and then I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to help me pick someone out of the congregation this morning. why are you I've been here for 19 years people you know I'm this crazy so we're gonna (laughs) so we're gonna pray some of y'all are praying right now but I'm gonna start praying in a minute and then I'm gonna ask the Holy Spirit to help me find someone we're gonna come up and Buddha is gonna help us demonstrate what this confession is all about so let's pray Uh, hey ushers just close the doors I don't want people like running out of here Okay, Father, I just, I need you to help. Oh, come on, I'm kidding, people. Some of you, some of y'all were like sweating it out. We may to need to turn the air conditioning up a little bit in here because some of you were freaking out just at the, I, Buddha, come on, give everybody a Everybody give Buddha a hand for playing, for playing with us this morning. This is actually, though, the real deal. That's a real lie detector. It's pretty cool. So, so look, I have, I have good news and I have some bad news here this morning. The bad news is there's a day coming when you and I will stand before the Lord and our lives will undergo a thorough examination. Every thought and every motive will be exposed and everyone will know the results. The good news is that you don't have to wait until that day to come clean and unload the baggage that you're carrying, the gift of confession works in your favor if you are using it regularly, like every day regular. I do not advise bottling up your sins and your issues until the day you're standing in front of Jesus and looking into his eyes, because why? That would be profoundly painful. Best to allow the gift of confession to do its work in you today, and every day, so that on the day that you are looking into those fiery eyes of Jesus, you'll have a much easier go of things because you kept that list short. So, we have two options confess here on earth and receive forgiveness and peace and healing, or confess there in heaven where there are no more options for benefits or redemption, just the consequences. And the Holy Spirit, he doesn't need a lie detector. He is a lie detector. So humble yourselves now, and he will exalt you later. Here's what the apostle Peter said. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time, he may exalt you. We first humble ourselves, and then God comes and promotes us at the right time. Everybody wants a promotion, right? But few want the process. In the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, step number five is admit to God and to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongdoings. To free themselves from the disease of addiction, program members had to go and do a thorough house cleaning. In fact, this step was so vital to the process that the writers of the program said that people who skipped this step in the process had a higher uh, rate of relapsing. In the AA Big Book, they describe those people this way, and this is a quote, they took the inventory all right, but then they hung on to some of the worst items in stock. They only thought that they had lost their egoism and fear. They only thought that they had humbled themselves, but they had not learned enough of humility and fearlessness and honesty in the sense that we find it necessary until they told someone else all their life story. So, in order to get to the next level in your journey, you have to confess. In order to get your healing, you have to confess. And in order to have a clear line of communication with God, You have to confess. It's part of the promotion process. God cannot exalt you if first you don't humble yourself. So earlier we were talking about the first confession, Adam and Eve. Here in the very next generation, Cain murders his brother Abel. And God comes. And here again, he tries to give him an opportunity to confess. He asks him, where is your brother? But Cain decides he's going to play dumb and he's going to reject the process. And he winds up cursed and banished. So when we do not confess, we find that we are fighting against God and we're fighting against our own recovery. Confession helps us to recognize the magnitude of what we've done. And Jesus said there is a connection between truth and freedom. But by far the greatest benefit of confession is salvation. Paul says you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance, for you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. Here's how Jesus talked about it. He said two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. Now the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed this prayer. Thank you, God. I'm not a sinner like everybody else. I don't cheat, don't sin, don't commit adultery. Not like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week and I pay my tithes. Mm-mm-mm. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He dared not even lift his eyes to heaven when he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow. And he said, oh God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner, and I tell you, the sinner and not the Pharisee returned home justified before God. For though those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus will never turn you away when you come to him with humility. Jesus knows that a lot of times we allow fear to hold us back from experiencing the power that comes through confession and he never rejects us, but he encourages us that joy will come when we get honest. He says there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous who need no repentance. So, right now, this morning, I'm just gonna ask everyone, Will you stand with me this morning? Let's bow our heads and begin to pray this morning. I want to give us an opportunity to respond. To what the Holy Spirit is saying to us this morning, I I want us to practice confession because it's a gift. Now, first, some of you have been you've been listening this morning, and you know that you've not been living for Jesus. Regardless of what, whatever you claim, you're you're not following Christ. You have not surrendered your life to Him. And today, you're done being in the driver's seat, and you want to confess you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Will you raise your hand this morning? I just want to pray with you. There's um, several ladies right here.